As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, all the big continental news, from the meltdown in Marseille to problems for Poch in Paris, to La Liga with things at Real looking bleaker and Messi's contract leaker, to Italy with a Christian resurrection and Reno who's had it up to the gills with people questioning his fish. All that plus Bundesliga and Dutch second division news in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Bauer. Hello, bonjour, c'est le deuxième février, 2nd of February, I think. And boy, has it been busy abroad, listener. So glad you've joined us because here, bursting with news to tell us all about, we've got uh, ooh, Julien Laurence. Bonjour. Bonjour. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Alvaro Romeo is with us. Hola, hola. Hola, Alvaro. And also James Horncastle. Hello. Jules, you're going to be busy today. You've got loads to tell us about. Yeah, it was a very eventful uh, weekend in France. Started on Saturday with the scenes in Marseille. Pretty incredible scenes. Mm. Scenes is the word. Loads of big talking points from all over the place. We're actually recording this kind of midway through the last day of the transfer market. So we'll touch on transfers, but we don't have the definitive view on them. Perhaps don't know if any last minute deals are going to go through, but with plenty of things to be discussing, let's get things underway in traditional fashion with Moments of the Weekend with Paddy Power. Rafa, why don't you lead us off with your Moment of the Weekend? The Moment of the Weekend came early, James, on Friday night. Silas Vamangituka picking up the ball at his own box and then going and going and going and going and going and going and scoring against Mainz, a beautiful solo effort uh, spanning nearly the entire length of the pitch, made all the more beautiful by the special rainbow kit that Stuttgart were wearing, uh, 
the red hoop replaced by rainbow colors. Beautiful, beautiful kit in memory of LGBT victims of the Holocaust. Uh, an amazing goal and an amazing moment of the week in Germany. Mm, does sound pretty special. James Hornacastle. Sunday night, Rino Gattuso decides he's had enough. He's going to address all the kind of insults that he's been taking. He says, I've been slaughtered uh, for the last three weeks. You know, they've even brought up the quality of fish at my fish restaurant. What is going on? Um, and yeah, calling out uh, Napoli's owner, Aurelio De Laurentiis, saying that, you know, look, I've got a great relationship uh, with uh, the president, but I've been very disappointed uh, by what I've heard over the last two or three weeks. So all this speculation about the future of Gattuso and that speculation continues to rumble on after his comments mm. following uh, the win over Palmer. And also the fish, we'll be finding out about that yeah. later on. Alvaro. Well, it has to be the exclusive information that El Mundo newspaper is revealing, broken down so far in two days with the details of Lionel Messi's contract. The headline says that the pharaonic contract of Messi is bankrupting Barcelona. In a probably very opinionated headline, I may say, but the truth is that Lionel Messi, if he gets all the money that he can get from Barcelona according to his contract, he could get uh, half a billion from Barcelona in four years, uh, which is something that uh, made the news in the weekend. And uh, it's obviously... Getting very annoyed, mm, the many parties involved, and the big question now in Spain is who leaked this paper mm. to El Mundo newspaper? Who leaked Lionel Messi's contract? We'll get your theories later on. Uh, Jules? Uh, there's only one, one place in France. Jimbo is in Marseille on Saturday afternoon, the, the riots. Those incredible scenes of violence from the ultras towards the, their own training ground, their own team, their own president, uh, breaking everything, threatening everyone, even hitting one of their own players. Uh, in Alvaro Gonzalez, uh, just think that to this degree of violence and unrest we've never seen before, even in Marseille, they had their moments before, but never like this. And and I think everybody has been pretty traumatized and shocked. Okay, well that's where we'll begin today's Totally Football Show European Edition. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be gamble aware. Oh, Marseille Saturday with their fixture against Rennes postponed after fans rioted at the training ground. Jules, where were you Saturday afternoon? I was on my way to Arsenal and Manchester United. Right. And the phone started to ring and people were saying, did you see what's happening in Marseille right now? So I managed to tune in. Uh, and we knew, we knew they were going to protest. That, that was the, the, the ultras had told some of the local newspapers and the radios. So we knew they were going to protest like they did a week before. Uh, in front of the stadium at the Velodrome, which was a little bit violent towards the police, but not too much. They had a lot of banners. They put banners all through uh, the week in Marseille. Vous êtes dégueulasse. So dégueulasse is like, you're disgusting. That right. was last week. But, but during the week, they had banners in pretty much every single roundabout, or big roundabout in, in the city centre, against Payet, against Tovin, against Hero, the president, uh, Jacques-Henri Hero, against Frank Macaw, the owner, uh, the American. 
and and the ho- you could see you could sense the hostility, but then there's still a, there's still a difference between hostile and what we saw on Saturday, where they started with the protest, and then once they arrived at the commandery, the training ground, they decided to go in. The players were in because that's where uh, they stayed before home games. Uh, some of the some of the staff, of course, AVB was there. Some of the people who work in the offices as well were there. Not many because it was a Saturday, but you still had people there and. Around 50, 50 ultras amongst the 250 or 300 that were, that were there managed somehow to, uh, to get in via the, the field on the side. It's, it's quite an easy uh, place to get in if you want to, the commandery. And then they smashed... How would you know that, George? I've been many times when the national team were there. Only when the national team were there. Um, and to, to watch the national team training behind closed door, I, I, I can tell you that it's not hard at all to see inside and to get in. But even with knowing that they were going to protest, there was still very limited police there and security there, which was not enough. And then it just kicked off completely. They took AVB's briefcase and just smashed it everywhere. They threw bottles of water at AVB. They threw a projectile at Alvaro, who got hit in the in the in the back. Uh, they smashed every window. They stole all the computers. They stole everything they could steal as well. And it's just like players have said they were traumatized. Uh, some of their family members as well. Um, we're completely panicking, thinking like, what, what next? They could come to our house. Then they know, all the ultras know where the players live. Mm. Uh, so really incredible scenes in Marseille. Jules, they're not on a great run of form. They've had four straight defeats in, in all competitions, but they're not doing disastrously. They're in the top half of the table. What has provoked? Is it just the results, this incredibly strong reaction? No, so the, the main reason why is to protest against the, the president, Jacques-Henri Hérault, who is who's not a football guy at all, who's not a Marseille guy, who's actually a Parisian guy, who uh, studied in the US, is, is an intelligent guy, certainly in terms of his degrees and, and where he graduated and what he did before. But one, is not football. And two, certainly since, since arriving at the club with Frank McCourt, has not really been able to understand what this football club means to the city of Marseille, to the fans, and we will, we, will, we will talk a little bit later on, on what, what is a good fan. Are those people good fans? The ones who raided the training ground and attacked it and attacked the players. B- but he never understood them. So he keeps popping up with interviews or conferences or speeches where he says, mm, you know, at this club, there's too many Marseille fans. This, this is not good for business. Silly stuff like if you score from 25 yards, they should count double. You should get two goals instead of one. I, I mean, seriously, this is, this is the kind of stuff that he comes up with. And you feel Marseille fan with the incredible history of your club, what you've seen, you know, winning the Champions League and all of that, having some really good presidents, some not so good, but, you know. And you, you hear him saying things like this, saying mm. stuff like, you know, our ultras are stupid. Saying like that clip that, you know, we, we shared on our WhatsApp group yesterday, last so, night where so he, he says... He went, after the riot, he goes out on, on TV to try and uh, calm things. And, yeah. And, and, and how does he do that, Jules? Mais euh, de l'OM euh, du chaos, de l'OM euh, de 20 entraîneurs en 20 ans, de l'OM parfois euh, des magouilles, de l'OM euh, de la chronique judiciaire, de l'OM euh, des affaires. By saying that, you know, this is a club with histories of uh, illegal stuff, of dodginess, of incidents, of protest. And like you said, when you want him to calm you down, he's doing his interview in front of a smashed window to feel victimized, to see, look, I am the victim here. This is what they did behind me. And by the way, this is a kind of normal because for many, many years now, um, you know, we've had, that's what we were doing. We were doing illegal stuff in this club and we want to put an end to this. Again, 
showing that he doesn't get it. And I think, yes, of course, they're, they're angry at the players and AVB for the lack of results because he started so well this season. Last season was great. But then he's gone pear-shaped in the last few games. But, but also, mostly, towards the owner, not so much because he's rarely there. And he has put some money in, to be fair to him. But more that president who is completely clueless, who, more importantly, because you can, you can, be, you can be an idiot, but if you're not in touch with your fans, especially in Marseille, and you don't have to let them do anything they want because for, for many, many years, they were running the club. And I think this is where we can talk about what good fans are because after the incidents, they were the ones saying, but this is our club. We own this club. We are Olympic de Marseille. This is us. So we can do whatever we want here. No one can tell us no or this is not good or tell us off and etc. And I understand it because fans will always be there. Owners, managers, players, they come and they go. Those fans have been there for years and they will still be there for years after Aero, after Macourt, after Payet or Tovin, all the others. But they went too far this time. You can't attack your own players on a day of a game like this. It's not acceptable. Well, yeah. I mean, criminal activity. Uh, I hope things are going to be calmer for their next home fixture. Who's that against, Jules? Let me... Oh, yes. A PSG. Um, there's a risk that this game might not happen on Sunday. Right. Simply because the police, the local authorities are too scared that... The same, the same fans, I mean, there were 300 of them. 14 have been arrested and went in custody. 14 out of 300. Uh, and the 50 that went in. And there's, there's certainly growing fears that once the PSG bus arrives at the Velodrome, you can just imagine what can happen. And, and even to the own Marseille coach, what can happen to their bus. Uh, and already the, the ultras have said, let's have another protest because we haven't heard, been heard enough on Saturday. Let's have another one on Sunday and on Saturday at the training run, at the stadium. And they certainly fear that... Uh, it would be too it would be too risky right now to host that game against PSG, considering this is the biggest game of the season. Wow, Andre Villas-Boas, in the meantime, talking about his future with the club, says it looks like the end. I think it'll be over in June. The place needs a clear out, including myself, unless I get ten straight wins. But I'm responsible for the results, and right now they're awful. He sounds pretty bothered about it. Yeah, that was on Friday, by the way, ah, so okay. the day before the riots. But yeah, he's. The, 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 a few days before uh, he said after the, the game they lost you know what if they don't want me here no problem like he was really not bothered and I he did well there because he had very limited resources they lost Morgan Sanson to Aston Villa another of their really good players because they had to sell him to balance their books but, but I, I'm just not sure he's partly to blame AVB because some of his tactics has been, has been poor this season but I think the, the issues are, are way bigger than just him Imagine being Arcadius Millic and you've just, you know, sort of flown over Incredible. from Naples for a quieter life in Marseille after the mutiny last year. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is one of your first experiences as Amazing. a Marseille player. Amazing. What was crazy, James, is that Millic was like all the, the rest of the squad in, in the training ground preparing for the game, all in their bedrooms. And some of them from their window could actually see this group of fans just climbing everywhere and smashing everything with all the flares and everything. And some just close the curtains, lock the door, lock the door from inside and just stay there. Literally like, please, please don't come up to my floor. Some like Alvaro or AVB went down and, and tried to talk and reason the, the rioters. But a lot of them, including Milik, which you can't really blame him for, but just stayed in and said like, please don't start knocking at the door or smashing the door. The flare door. throwing it was, this, was compared in Le Keep to the English soldiers, the English archers at the Battle of Agincourt, um, yeah. as they sort of, you know, sort of pulled back the flares and threw them. I mean, it, I mean, it's extraordinary <laughs> scenes. 
Yeah. And credit to Gonzalez and, and, and EVB for going down and trying to establish some dialogue and, and, and calm things down. But yeah, watching the pictures, I, I must admit, my mind raced back to, well, largely Rome, uh, James. It, it does sound the kind of thing that you'd expect. I don't know. We recall the time when uh, the ultras went to Trigoria with buckets and mops and also fish, which they threw at Roma's players. Because That happened at Atletico de Madrid as well. Right. About did, 12 years ago. Did their training ground ever get invaded when they were top of the table? Because no. that happened... <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but it was one of the most extraordinary things. So Lazio were top of the table. This was 1999. Svenjorn Eriksson was in charge, and you got the team with, I mean, all the big names, Diego Simeone, etc., in there. Um, they lost the derby uh, 4-1 to Roma, which obviously was a big scoreline, but they were still top of the table. And on Monday, the uh, Laziale, the Iriducibile, went to Formello and uh, let them know that this was not going to be happening Again, to be yeah. honest, you'd back that Lazio dressing room against against the ultras. <laughs> Mihailovic, Simeone, yeah. I think I think uh, I think they can handle themselves. I'm not yeah. sure I would trust uh, this Marseille squad against their ultras right now. I mean Dimitri Payet uh, and unless he changes into Kung Fu Panda, I'm just not sure how they can cope. But but we've seen we've seen in the past, I mean on Saturday morning the, the Saint Etienne Ultras went to their training ground. To, to, to sort of put a bit of pressure on their team that's been dreadful all season. And they ended up winning, by the way, against Nice. But we've seen those scenes before in, in many clubs, in France, mm. in Italy, in, in Spain, you know, in Turkey, everywhere in Germany as well. But, but not to this extent, not where you actually destroy your own club because they, they, you know, they, they damage their own training ground and threaten their own players physically with damage and, and stuff. It's just, it's just remarkable. I can understand the frustration from Marseille fans, of course, but but that was that was something. Is it else. is it as remarkable as Julian using this story and twenty minutes telling it to bury the bad news of a PSG defeat against Lorient? Is what that... Paris Saint Germain <laughs> lost a what? second from last when? team in Liga? I can't believe that Jules would just set the training ground on fire. My plan, <laughs> just my plan, we don't have perfectly. to talk about that. My plan worked so well. All right, uh, well we'll have to touch on that story a little bit later on. A uh, quick word on Morgan Sanson. Uh, what do you think he'll do at Villa? I think he'll do well. They, they, they team that plays, and he's really good when he's on the ball. Those runs from midfield. He's a very uh, good technical player, but but also runs a lot. He's got that power when he's on the ball. I think he's is something that they could do with. There's a, a few similarities with with John McGinn in the way they play. Although I think that Sanson would score more goals and give more assists, um, maybe because he, he plays slightly a different a different role. But uh, yeah, I think it could help them certainly. It's, it's right. a really good move from them. I think. Excellent. Next up. Another week, another defeat for Real Madrid. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, Real Madrid lost again. <sighs> this time it was at home to Levante. 2-1 at home. Alvaro. Tell us about Levante, first of all. Tell us about Jose Luis Morales, El Comandante. El Comandante, yeah, exactly. He, he's a, 
a player with uh, plenty of quality uh, who for one reason or another he tends to give his best level against Real Madrid a player who hasn't uh, been under the radar until he was 26 or 27 but one of those uh, guys who was fantastic in the lower tires and uh, now uh, in the top flight he's uh, still um, 33 32 years old but he's capable of um, Magic, he scored the first goal of Levante and uh, yeah, he has been one of the probably the most iconic players in La Liga um, in the last five years because uh, when Morales scores a goal, he knows how to score a goal. He scores a really memorable stuff. And uh, the goal he scored against Courtois the other day was very nice as well because he basically hunt the ball uh, right after the ball bounced uh, after a cross from the right and he put it in the opposite corner of Thibaut Courtois and the goalkeeper had nothing to do. I mean, the quality of the of, and the technique of the shot was very remarkable and the reason why it's called El Comandante is not because he's got any links with the army or anything like that but uh, once uh, they asked him whether he wanted to be the leader of the club in a radio show uh, he wanted to lead uh, Levante to you know to glory and he said if they want me to be the leader I'll be the commander so that's the reason behind uh, the nickname of uh, this player who really uh, is one of the best uh, unknown La Liga players for all those international people who probably don't watch any more than the top flight uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico and Sevilla but he's a very remarkable player uh, top quality Right, meanwhile Real Madrid's morale is, is rock bottom because that's now three defeats in the last four for the Merengues in all competitions. Uh, a week ago, we were mentioning the Madrid press, Marca As, comparing Zidane, their manager, to a withered flower and saying it would need a miracle to save him. Instead, he's had more defeats. Ozzy Emas, if it were any other manager at Madrid, would they have been sacked? Because it seems Zizou is immune to the chop. What's the yes, story? probably yes, probably yes. Uh, I mean, his credit is there and he has uh, won many titles, but I've seen managers uh, depart in Real Madrid right after winning the Champions League. It has happened. I remember who was that? Jupp Heynckes left Real Madrid after, after winning the Champions League. Vicente del Bosque after winning the Champions League and then winning the league. So that is the common thing at Real Madrid. Of course, there is a bond between Zidane and uh, the manager Florentino Pe uh, the president Florentino Pérez. And uh, now it's a bit strange because Real Madrid lost against Levante. It's true that they were a man down uh, pretty much from the beginning of the game because uh, Militao was sent off for a very debatable red card. In my opinion, it should have been a yellow. But Real Madrid saw no spirit uh, in the game against Levante, no plan. Uh, also, the substitutions of Betoni, the guy who was in on the bench of Real Madrid representing the team because Zidane has still COVID were a bit strange Benzema Asensio Hazard came out when Real Madrid was playing for the victory in this game and uh, the players who came in I don't think that they've got nowhere near the quality of uh, the ones I mentioned Mariano Arribas Vinicius Junior so yes this is a strange moment for Real Madrid because losing at home is always a surprise but uh, Real Madrid is getting used to losing many games in La Liga this season. And, uh, you know, in the past, I've seen Real Madrid uh, navigating and letting it go in La Liga, and yet they won the Champions League. That happened, for example, in 2018. But I don't think that this season they've got that quality. Or uh, um, players uh, with the the momentum to, to turn up in the big moments like Cristiano Ronaldo or Gareth Bale to win a Champions League to Liverpool. This Real Madrid is different. So at this stage, they are 10 points away from the leader, Atletico de Madrid. Atletico has a game in hand. They are out of the Spanish Cup as well. So 
basically, the next final for them is the game against Atalanta. And at this stage, you don't get many guarantees with Real Madrid. I mean, they haven't gone through the Champions League last 16 round since 2018. So this is the state of the club at the minute. Wow, that's coming up in three weeks' time. Why are they so bad, though, Alvaro? Well, there are a number of uh, explanations. I think that Real Madrid is uh, not capable of doing 90 good minutes. Uh, Real Madrid can do like a play well at some stages of the game because they've got a lot of quality in the midfield, especially Toni Kroos and Luka Modric. When they click, they are still excellent. But they cannot keep up that level for 90 minutes. So if they don't wrap up the game, when they play well, which is normally 20 minutes spells, then they, they find it very difficult to win the games because uh, they don't score as much as they were scoring before. A lot of goal scoring responsibilities rely on Benzema as well. And then uh, Sergio Ramos, when he is not in the defense, uh, the team is lacking some leadership too, and Sergio Ramos has been out. So I think that those are the main explanations, but I think that the trajectory is that matters here. I mean, over the last four years, Real Madrid has been gradually getting worse. So... You know, it's been happening. The only thing is that in June and in July, they managed to focus on winning La Liga. Barcelona was a very bad chaser and they managed to win it. But I think that despite them winning La Liga, eh, nobody would have said in Spain that this Real Madrid was ready for anything else than winning domestically. Avro, you mentioned the bench. I mean, some of the players who didn't come on. I mean, there's Marcelo, Isco, but the rest are kind of no names. I mean, Andri Lunin... Diego Altuve, Antonio Blanco, Victor Schust. I mean, is that reflective of an injury crisis or is that reflective of the actual strength in depth that Madrid have? I think that uh, that is more reflective of uh, an injury crisis. And uh, at the same time, um, let's put it this way. Real Madrid doesn't have many top quality players in certain positions that make the difference at the end of the season. One of them is the number nine. Then I do believe that... Uh, also, they've got many players who are an all-right 7 out of 10, and they don't give you more level than that. I'm talking about the likes of uh, Lucas Vázquez or Fede Valverde or Nacho, uh, players that I respect a lot, but they are no more than club players. And let's don't forget Real Madrid. A few years ago, sometimes they were very dysfunctional, but they had so much quality uh, that they, they were winning games just because they scored one more goal than the opponent. And this is very reductive, I know, but there is some truth behind that. And now Real Madrid, they are dysfunctional as well, but the thing is that they, they don't have the quality up front to make the difference. And yes, this bench is a little bit reflected this time of, of what Real Madrid are, but especially I would say that the... The fact that Betoni, uh, probably mm, getting Zinedine Zidane's order, he decided to remove Benzema, Hazard and Asensio from the pitch in such an important game. Because Real Madrid is not playing the cup in midweek. So they could easily play 90 minutes with these three players and try to, you know, to draw this game at least or to get the three points. So it was a very strange move, to be honest. One of these defeats of Real Madrid that makes you think that uh, they don't really believe that they are going to win La Liga. And this goes totally against Real Madrid's philosophy. Wow. As you said, it is a nightmare scenario at the moment. Uh, Barcelona moved past them into second place. They had a 2-1 revenge victory over Yola Alvaro, Athletic Club de Bilbao. They've got some other issues of their own, though, the Catalans to worry about. We'll touch on that very shortly. But neighbours Atletico and Madrid, meantime, 10 points clear with that game in hand after their 4-2 victory at Cadiz this weekend. That's now eight straight wins for Diego Simeone's side. This game featuring another two goals from Luis Suarez, who's now up to 14 in 16 matches. Marcus headline the day after the game, just a big, and they gave him away, kind of tittering at, at, at Barcelona. 
Yes, and we can relate this very well to Lionel Messi's contract because some are blaming Messi for Barcelona's disastrous finances. But the truth is that the businesses that they've been made around other players are uh, terrible as well. And having gifted Luis Suarez is one of these things that uh, has changed La Liga landscape a little bit. In the same way that Barcelona gave away David Villa to Atlético de Madrid for three millions in uh, 2013, and David Villa scored around 14 or 15 goals that season to give uh, Atlético de Madrid the title. So, yes, but I do believe that Atlético de Madrid is much more than Luis Suarez at the minute. They changed the system to three centre-backs. That is working uh, very well to the point that uh, collectively the, some players, after having done the basics first, some players are flourishing a lot. Marcos Llorente has become a terrific midfielder. I was checking his numbers the other day. And uh, basically his numbers are in the region of uh, Joshua Kimmich and Kevin De Bruyne in terms of uh, involvement in goals. I'm not saying that he's better than them, but uh, obviously he's uh, providing with a lot. Then um, Correa and uh, Lemar, the French guy, uh, they're playing excellent as well. And uh, some players, they are just adding up to the cause, you know. So Atletico is getting better little by little. The only one that is missing out a little bit is Lucas Torreira, who only played 45 minutes against Cadiz. But yeah, generally speaking, all the players are giving a very good level. And I still expect more from Joao Felix, um, who is supposed to be the guy who can actually bring some light to the team. So yeah, this is a very impressive Atletico de Madrid. And there is one number that is uh, astonishing. Last season at this stage, they had only 35 points. This season, they've got 50. So that explains what's happening in La Liga now. Real Madrid, is it much worse than last season? I don't think so. Barcelona, well, they are different, but uh, point-wise, uh, they are at a very similar level on last season. But Atletico de Madrid has 50 points after 19 games. Basically, this rhythm is uncatchable for anyone. I don't even think they, they, they're playing at their best. I still think there's so much room for improvement in that team. Collectively, I mean, not individually, I think... Alvaro is right, but collectively in their build-up play on set pieces, defensive set pieces, attacking set pieces, they can they can still do much better. So it's just scary to think that that potentially they can even get better and better as the season goes on, both in the league and also in the in the Champions League. And I think that's that's pretty remarkable. They're going to be facing Chelsea in three weeks' time in that competition. Wow. Well, let's turn our thoughts then to Barcelona after this. No, sir, remember, a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Man United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acker Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus-fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive, excludes shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18-plus, On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Alvaro, Barcelona, on a good run at the moment, apart from that Super Cup that they lost to your lot. This weekend, they won the fifth straight game in the league, a 2-1 win over Athletic Club de Bilbao, with Messi scoring his 650th club goal in 755 games in all competitions, and Barcelona moving up to second place. Those aren't the numbers that the Spanish press were talking about this weekend, though. Oh, no. Yes, exactly, because uh, 
It has to be said that on Saturday evening, El Mundo um, published one ex exclusive, uh, which was great information, actually, but maybe not uh, the fruit of a great investigation, but the fruit of uh, <laughs> his contract having been leaked. Nicely put. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously something that, um, that has done El Mundo newspaper lately with uh, some different informations uh, of any order, really. Mm, leaking information is something that has been happening in Spain a lot lately, even in politics as well. And uh, yeah, uh, what El Mundo was saying is that uh, Lionel Messi was breaking down Lionel Messi's contract. Lionel Messi's contract, uh, to put it uh, simply, um, in four years he could make half a billion. And that was what El Mundo was publishing. So this is the contract that he signed, the last contract that he signed, which has been running for the last couple of, with the last four seasons, no? Yes, exactly. I mean, if you want, I give you a bit of context because I think that 2017, when he signed uh, his contract, it was a very important time for Barcelona. That summer, Barcelona has sold Neymar to PSG, or to put it another way, PSG had paid uh, Neymar's release clause. Mm -hmm. um, Barcelona and Catalonia were in uh, a big civil unrest time, and um, Messi's contract was expiring in June 2018. So Barcelona knew that without Neymar, they had to offer Lionel Messi anything, anything, because Lionel Messi, you know, uh, they didn't want the Argentinian to, to start the year with the possibility to negotiate his future with another club. So they offered Lionel Messi a crazy contract. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I mean, this is something that has mortgaged Barcelona a little bit financially ever since. But at the same time, I wouldn't blame it on Messi because... Mm, it's not Messi's fault that Barcelona has uh, lost so much money lately, uh, buying the likes of Malcolm, Paulinho, Alcácer, mm. Trincao, Artur, players that also costed a fortune to Barcelona. Coutinho as well. But the figures involved in this contract are, even by football standards, pretty extraordinary. So the total amount, the total salary Messi earns over the course of the deal is more than half a billion euros. How much... How does that compare to, I don't know, your Cristiano Ronaldo's or Neymar's and Bappi's, etc.? It feels like that's, it's like a kind of a big leap forward. It's only it him is. and Cristiano, really. The, 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 rest, the, the rest are nowhere near them two uh, in, in terms of wages. It's not much. I mean, people who are surprised by the, the amount, I don't know what they've done the last three years. We've had the WikiLeaks leaks. We knew already pretty much how much he made. Okay, there's, there's more bonuses in this loyalty bonus that even if he leaves he will still get 39 million euros so there's there's, there's more bonuses to it but we already already knew that he was on kind of that kind of money anyway so i don't know why people are suddenly saying oh this is a disgrace because we've known those numbers for three years now yeah and the and the bonuses uh, sounded a little bit uh, you know silly uh, for example one of them came from accepting the renewal and another one for fidelity or loyalty, uh, and both combined they made uh, 180 million. So, yeah, I mean, we all knew that Lionel Messi was making a lot of money. I'm not that surprised, really, about the figure, because uh, it has been said in the past, and, uh, you know, not with such a level of detail. But yes, I mean, he's the best paid uh, player in the world, of course. But I don't know if this is normal, really, in every industry, to be honest, like in, in cinema or in arts, uh, the number one. Uh, and this is something that uh, is questionable, I know, because some people will argue that Cristiano Ronaldo is number one. But I think the number one in any art or in any sport, normally they are making a lot of money too. So the thing here is how bad Barcelona 
calculated how much they could give to Messi and to the rest of the players. The thing is that the club is also mortgaged because uh, around Messi they have offered crazy contract extensions to the likes of Jordi Alba, to the likes of um, Sergio Busquets, Luis Suárez, to the point that now they start getting rid of players because they cannot pay the wages. It's as simple as that. And we all knew that Messi had a lot of power. And that is not a new revelation. I mean, he has said publicly that the president lied to him. Uh, he was ignoring deliberately Kike Setien's assistant last season. And in 2017, this is something that you may not know, but uh, Barcelona sacked the director of institutional relations, a man called Pera Gratacos, because he said only this. He said that Messi was one of the most important persons in the club, but without his teammates, he wouldn't be so good, even though he's the best. And that man was sacked. So Lionel Messi's power has been always there. The club has been always trying to please him, not knowing exactly what Lionel Messi wanted. And uh, yeah, uh, the reason why Barcelona, probably in my opinion, is mortgaged now, is because they are paying a lot of money and the 74% of their income goes basically to the player's salaries. But this is a club that... They are still making a lot of revenue. In fact, Deloitte last week published uh, their list with the clubs that make more revenue in the world. And Barcelona is still the number one. And that number one is thanks to Messi. I mean, I don't think that uh, when Barcelona goes to get a sponsorship or tries to get a new client, uh, they open a PowerPoint to the face of Martin Braithwaite in there. Probably it's Lionel Messi, the man that they show. So I can understand perfectly that Lionel Messi makes this money. And <laughs> the problem is that Barcelona is offering it. Or, the Bar or that Barcelona is not capable of uh, making more money around this player or paying less to the rest of the players. So, Alvaro, I've got some questions uh, to kind of follow up on all this. One is, I think the first suspicion is that the club themselves leaked this. They are, after all, an institution who had previously employed a company to brief and leak things against their own players. So it's very much within their kind of MO. Secondly, what happens now... Nothing, nothing Nothing. has come in terms of news about Messi's future. Paris Saint-Germain and Man City seem to be the only two options. And thirdly, and this question from Alex Cooney, given Messi's insane contract and the 1.2 billion euros of debt and the payments they're still owing on other deals, are Barcelona at risk of an AC Milan-style financial collapse and being out of the, the kind of top table for maybe a decade or so? That is, uh, I start with the last question, that is a little bit unlikely, the fact that they are going to drop so much, because for that to happen, the rest of the teams have to raise the level a lot. A lot. And what is dropping so much anyway? Uh, Milan hasn't played the Champions League for a number of years. I don't think that, that is going to happen to Barcelona. Still, they've got uh, the likes of the young Fatih, Pedri, Ter Stegen, uh, they are some top players in the Liga. So I don't think that they are going to drop so dramatically. Um, the other question, if you can remind me, uh, okay, James, so is what is now? What's yeah, what's going to happen with Messi and, and where did the leak come from? Well, uh, there is a person who has denied having leaked this. Uh, Josep Maria Bartomeu, uh, the much maligned ex-president. Um, he did it on Sunday night by sending a message to a local TV show called Goal a Goal. Basically, somebody hinted that Bartomeu um, had leaked this contract and he texted this program saying that it wasn't him. Ronald Koeman has been very clear about this. I mean, he said that uh, whoever leaked this, if that person is inside the club, doesn't have any future at the club. And I think that, that is the mentality uh, right now. I don't think that there is a witch, witch hunt yet. Um, but yes, it's difficult to say who has leaked it. Bartomeu has denied it and he was probably the, the suspect number one. Mm. So then the other question is, what happens now 
what should happen now from Messi's point of view, but also from, from Barcelona's point of view. I'll be very quick with this. Uh, Lionel Messi said in January that he has not decided his future yet. Mm, and there are elections on the 7th of March. Every candidate, and there are three now, um, they've got a different uh, financial plan. Uh, Victor Font, one of them one of them says that he's got a 100 days um, shock plan just to change Barcelona's finances. Joan Laporta also says that he's got different imaginative ways of um, making the club finances a little bit more stable. And we'll have to listen from them, of course. But uh, none of them will say openly that they want to sell Lionel Messi before the elections because that will be pretty much the end of their candidacy. Doesn't this leak make it easier for Barcelona not to give him a new contract? And does that perhaps point towards the people that have either leaked it or benefited most from this story coming out? Mm, I think that, as I said before, these numbers were kind of known, not broken down to this level of detail. But uh, we all knew that uh, Lionel Messi's finances were pretty much in the region of what uh, it was published. So, again, I think that no candidate will say that he wants to sell Lionel Messi. No candidate will want to sell him and probably they will offer him an extension. It's down to Lionel Messi to say, well, I'm going to accept it, believing that in the future you will pay me, because Barcelona right now, they are having a lot of problems to pay to the players, I was just going to say, how can they afford to offer him a similar they kind can't. of extension? He would have to take a pay cut, but he would have to take a pay cut anyway. Regardless if he stays or if he leaves, there's no way Man City will pay him that kind of money. Neither will PSG. So I think he knows already that next season, and I mean, he's earned enough money in his old career anyway, but I think he knows already that if wherever he goes, staying or leaving, he will have to take a pay cut. I don't know how significant a pay cut he has to take, but he knows that no one is right now in this current context able to pay that kind of money to anyone, not just him, but anyone. Or they sell all the other players and just promote the B team guys. Yeah, just, Imagine, uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Conrad. <laughs> that is not the instant success. And, uh, the B team at the minute doesn't have the stars that uh, it had, for example, in 2010. So according to El Mundo, Lionel Messi has received already the 92% of what he, he signed in 2017. Lionel Messi is going to get all the money to the last penny of his salary because the club has promised the players that they will pay, if not now, in the future, what they are owed. So I think that they can rest assured when it comes to that. At least they've got uh, that uh, assurance. And uh, yes, it's likely, as you'll say, that maybe for the next contract extension, Lionel Messi has to accept a pay cut. Uh, who's going to bail them out? I mean, the only way to get back to being able to to invest and, and, and keep going even is some huge cash uh, influx or, or a loan um, from a bank. Well, what's the plan? from Laporta? Messi should loan them the money. He's got loads. <laughs> well, you, should, you should know in 2010, uh, a local bank, uh, La Caixa or Caixa Bank, uh, rescued Barcelona pretty much, uh, loaned them around 100 million just to pay the, the salaries. So... The thing is that this problem is bigger because uh, the debt of Barcelona is 10 times bigger than 100 million. So who is going to do that? Look, in any other club, in any other club, I think that the conversation about Barcelona becoming a limited company would have started. At Barcelona, this conversation hasn't started yet because they want to keep this social uh, philosophy of a club in which the season ticket holders, they've got a say, they've got a vote. So they are all waiting for the next president or the next candidate 
to offer and to present a reasonable, reasonable plan about what to do with Barcelona's finances. And from that point on, that president will have like a year or two of uh, time to work. And if that doesn't work, I think that they will reveal or they will review the, the whole team's philosophy, structure and finances again. But yeah, I think that the elections are key this time. Wow. All right, Alvaro. Thank you for all of that. Uh, much more to come in this Totally Football show. Next up, a quick update on the Dutch second tier, uh, because we always do that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Yep, time for our weekly check on the Dutch second tier, the first division. Exciting 4-4 draw. Not sure if you noticed this between Excelsior and Den Bosch. Excelsior were 3-0 up, but ended up drawing 4-4 because of this man. Nog een keer Hornkamp en die komt wel binnen. 3-1. Mooie goal van Jis Hornkamp. Jis Hornkamp voor de 3-2. 3-2. Hornkamp aan de andere kant. Hornkamp met de 4-3. Het moet niet gekker worden. Wat een wedstrijd dit. Jis Hornkamp met zijn hat-trick. Daar gaat Hornkamp. Is hij op tijd? Ja, dat is hij. Oh, het wordt 4-4. Weer Hornkamp. Ja, wat een wedstrijd. En vier keer voor deze eindpaas. Jis Hornkamp. Ja, yep, de extraordinary Jis Hornkamp. Dat is zijn naam. Met alle vier goals voor Den Bosch. No relation, James. Am I right? No, it's not my Dutch cousin. But, um, yeah. Right. Excelsior had been 3 0 up, as I mentioned, but they didn't get a clean sheet because of jizz. Now, next up. <laughs> next up, Italy. <laughs> Italy. Top four or one, James. So let's talk about the Coppa Italia semi finals, which are coming up Tuesday and Wednesday, and let's hope. They are as exciting as the crazy quarterfinals just last week. Tuesday, it's Inter against Juventus. And then Wednesday, Napoli-Atalanta. Woo! All right, first off then, Tuesday's Inter-Juve game. Yeah, a repeat of the Debut d'Italia, which we already saw uh, earlier uh, this year, 2021, in January, where Conte's Inter outplayed uh, Pilo's Juventus. Um, but they'll be without Romelu Lukaku this time, who's still suspended. Um, the Italian Football Federation have opened an investigation into what happened in the quarterfinal between uh, Lukaku and Zlatan. So we'll update you on developments there as and when we have them. Uh, but Inter, again, with a 4-0 win against Benevento at the weekend, they've scored 49 goals um, so far this season. That gives them the best attack in, in Serie A um, and the second best in Europe behind uh, Lewandowski's Bayern Munich. So I think what's kind of quite interesting is much as the defeat to Inter uh, left a, a very loud echo in sort of Juventus's January, they've actually had a very good start to the year. Um, that was the only game they've lost. They've won all the other ones. They won the first trophy on the Pirlo in the Super Cup. They progressed to the semi-finals of the Cup. They've actually closed the gap between them 
and uh, Milan and Inter in the league. Um, so there's this feeling that with Chiellini coming into the team, with Pirlo settling on his best midfield, which is Artur and Bentancur, with McKenney and Chiesa uh, really doing well, that uh, Juventus are gradually coming together just when it really matters. Mm, a 2-0 win at the weekend with Chiesa once again on the score sheet. He's in a rich vein of form. Aaron Ramsey with the other goal as well. They did lose 2-0 at Inter two weeks ago. Lukaku not available, as you mentioned, this time. However, Christian Eriksen is. Now, it was his <laughs> remarkable free kick which decided the quarterfinal over Milan a week ago. As his reward, he got a rare start this weekend. And, oh my, uh, kind of set up the opening goal. Yeah, he hit the bar as well. I mean, it was a deflected shot, but um, Conte is giving him opportunities where he wasn't in the past. And, yeah, he's playing him as a, a deep-lying playmaker in, in the kind of Marcelo Brozovic role. So just as when Eriksen had his bags packed and seemed like he was maybe going back to Tottenham, he has an opportunity to maybe kickstart his inter-career. Um, so uh, that was certainly one of the unforeseen uh, developments uh, in Serie A over the last, over the last few weeks. Um, Inter, I think, uh, because they haven't been able to do any business in the January transfer window, um, they want to make use of what they've got and Ericsson's, Ericsson's part of that. It's really in their interest to turn that investment uh, around, given how much they're paying him. Um, and, you know, as we've been on air, it looks like the takeover talks that Suning were holding with uh, this private equity group in London have broken down. Um, so uh, in, in some respects, I don't know, we'll have to see how the, the financial situation at the club unfolds over the next few months. But I think it, it adds to this sense of urgency that Inter's time is now, that they have to win uh, either a cup or the league. Um, they're certainly, I think, the most informed team, along with Lazio in and Juventus in Serie A, but I think they've they've just got more about them than those those teams. So we'll see what happens um, in this in this game. But uh, yeah, curious to see Eriksson finally delivering. Mm, absolutely, which is the first leg. There'll be another match between them back in Turin uh, seven days later. Wednesday, meanwhile, sees the other semi final, which is Napoli up against Atalanta. Napoli beat Atalanta at the San Paolo, oh, sorry, the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, four uh, one uh, back in October. Uh, they've had their ups and downs since. Uh, this weekend saw an up with that 2-0 victory over Parma, but then a bit of a down with that kind of volcanic explosion from Gattuso, uh, fired up about the ongoing speculation about people taking his job. Uh, it does seem likely that he won't be continuing after the end of this season. And there's the business with the fish restaurant as well. Do explain. <laughs> so Gattuso, he's had a fish restaurant uh, in Gallarate, which if you... If you ever go to Milanello, Milan's training ground, it's kind of on the way through it. Um, and uh, he thinks he's got some you know, first-class fish, which um, comes up from Calabria, where, where Gattuso's from. Um, and you can eat really well. You know, as he was saying uh, in, his, in the defense of his restaurant on, uh, on Sunday night, that uh, you have to be a kind of classy individual um, to, to, to sit down and have a 28-euro sea bass. Um, right. at, uh, at Gattuso's place. It's so not Lou Macari's anyone... fish and chips. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not. It's, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with Lou Macari's uh, uh, fish shop. Um, you know, I like uh, a bit of battered cod uh, as much as the next man. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, Gattuso believes that, yeah, his is a, a more uh, upmarket establishment. And anyone who says that uh, his fish is, is, is not great, well... Um, you know, so but they who? will feel his wrath. 
Who who has been saying uh, that his fish is not great? So this is the problem, uh, James. It's uh, it's these keyboard warriors um, online, uh, the Napoli commentariat as well, who've been slaughtering him, as he said. I mean, um, you know, Gattuso's been uh, suffering with illness, uh, certainly the end of December and, and January, and there was... There's a lot of things said about his health and his ability to continue coaching the team, um, which he says, um, uh, you know, yes, that 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 period was challenging, um, but it didn't affect his his ability to do his job. Um, so he's just fed up with some of the stuff that he's had to put up with. Now uh, he has called out the general kind of atmosphere around the club, you know, in terms of just uh, you know how many people are willing to go on the radio, go on TV, um, write columns about it. Um, and just gossip, gossip, gossip. And it's he's like, I don't read any of this gossip. Clearly he does. Um, but uh, the players do. You know, they're always on their phones. You know, they're, they're scrolling. They're doom scrolling about Napoli, essentially. Um, and uh, it's it's affecting the team's ability to, to fulfill its potential. Um, because certainly the way Napoli started the season, uh, with four wins in a row, they beat Genoa 6-0. They beat Atlanta 4-1, as you mentioned. Um, it was... That game that didn't get played against Juventus, that perhaps distorted um, where they were in the table, because apart from that, they looked like one of the a real contender. But since December, things have slightly slipped away from them. They lost to Inter and Lazio in back-to-back games. Um, you know, Insigne's ability to li- deliver in those games, as we saw in the Super Cup when he missed a penalty against Juventus, um, seemed to be too much for him, um, and. I th- think it's it's a really curious situation because I think Gattuso's done a good job. I think the players are really behind him. They respect him because he's really authentic. He always says what's on his mind. He's genuine. Um, but as far as we know, at the Athletic, I mean, Napoli have been in touch with other managers. Um, and uh, it's it's very odd considering how, how there's such a good feeling. He has delivered silverware and he put a broken team back together. Um, but as far as we can tell, in Napoli have been speaking to other managers. Um, and I, I think he knows that. And uh, it's not a good situation to be in. Indeed not. Well, they face Atalanta this Wednesday. Atalanta, who this weekend were beaten 3-1 by the very same team that they knocked out of the Coppa Italia quarterfinals last week by that same scoreline. I'm referring to Lazio, who picked up their fifth straight victory in the league. Who's your money on Napoli-Atalanta, James? I'm going to say Atalanta, James, because yeah, they were unbeaten um, since the end of November until the defeat that they suffered at the weekend against Lazio. And I think the game in the cup maybe took it out of them. They, they, they were down to 10 men and they still managed to, to overcome the Laziali. And that's been a real grudge match because Lazio beat them in the cup final a couple of years ago. I think Atalanta really want a piece of silverware to be the kind of crowning glory of this era under Gasparini. One question, James. Uh... Regarding Juventus, so far in the Coppa Italia, they have played with a few youngsters here and there, and some of them they have done very well. The other day I was very surprised positively with Frabotta playing on the left, and Fagioli as well, the midfielder, who was excellent. But I don't know if Pirlo is going to keep this plan also in the semi-finals, or if he's going to play finally with the big guns this time. Well, it's an interesting time for Juventus because they've got a really tough run of fixtures. So he's going to have to rotate um, because they play into... Um, then they play Roma at the weekend, and then they play Napoli at the San Paolo. Um, I think they then play into again, and then they will have the Porto game in the Champions League. So he's going to have to put his faith in uh, in the depth that they've got, which comes from the under-23 team too. But 
I think what's really important right now, and I think you see this in the results that Juventus have got, they're more or less at full strength. The only player who's out injured is Paolo Dybala, um, who we've barely seen this season, and they haven't really missed him. So I think in that regard, yes, we'll still see players like Frabotta making an impact for this for the Bianconeri. Well, that game coming up on Tuesday and then Atalanta-Napoli or Napoli-Atalanta on Wednesday. we got the big PSG defeat to talk about very soon. After this, a couple of your questions and a quick update on the Bundesliga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. The winter transfer window closing uh, as we record this listener. Liam Wraith asks, what can Liverpool expect from Ozan Kabak? Kabak, not sure if that deal's confirmed yet, is it, Rafa? And if it is, what are they getting or what will they get? Well, Kabak is is a player that had been incredibly uh, highly rated before his move to Schalke from Stuttgart. Bayern Munich were interested in him, but he thought that regular game time at Schalke was more beneficial at that stage of his career. He's only 20, James, so um, a lot of potential there. I guess the bad news is that he's had a pretty rough time in recent months, along with Schalke on the whole, not really playing well, looks a little bit unfocused, uh, shaky. But I think there is enough potential there, certainly physically, um, you know, it's a very imposing figure, very quick. He has all the the, the hallmarks of, of a proper, really good centre-back, good on the ball as well, that if you can get him back to that level that he was, uh, maybe before that uh, horrific Schalke season, that it would prove still a very good deal for Liverpool. So I think at this stage, where they were obviously panicking a little bit, they could have done a lot worse than getting this guy in. If he gets anywhere near his his former form, I think he'll be a big improvement on what they have at the moment. Excellent. All right, well, let's round up some news from the Bundesliga where Bayern Munich are steaming ahead. A 4-1 victory this weekend at home to Hoffenheim, uh, taking them to 57 goals so far this season in 19 league games. That is a club record. Uh, they achieved this without Corentin Tolisso at this time. Uh, Rafa, why was that? Tolisso was uh, dropped because he went and had a tattoo done, which is never really a good idea, I think, for for professionals. But in this specific um, time with coronavirus restrictions, etc., it is quite literally a bad look. And he had been punished quite drastically financially. He's come out and apologized, said it was the wrong thing. It's not going to have any huge repercussions for him buying want to sell him any in any case if possible but it didn't make it easier for Hansi Flick because he already had Leon Goretzka and Javi Martinez both out with uh, positive coronavirus tests so um, not many options in midfield but um, Mark Rocker um, who had come in for some criticism following his move to Munich um, played solid solidly enough and was one of the winners if you will of that game against Hoffenheim. Okay. Uh, what what was the ink that Tolisso got and how did the club discover that he'd had it? Uh, I don't remember what the ink was. Do mm. you know? No, I don't know. No. Um, I don't know. I think they discovered it because he put it on Insta, didn't he? Yeah, I suspect that yeah, was the case. The tattooist. If it hadn't been for that pesky Instagram account, he would have got away with it too. Yeah. Um, Leipzig in second place anyway. Wolfsburg third. Eintracht Frankfurt 
uh, in the final of the Champions League places. And then Leverkusen, Dortmund and Mönchengladbach with Union Berlin right behind them having held Gladbach to a 1-1 draw this weekend. Quaz or Kaz B98 says, can we have another shout out to Union? Do you expect them to continue challenging for a Europa League spot? There's no reason why they shouldn't. I mean, they've been playing really well. This is without supposedly their most important player, Max Kruse. But even without him, they find ways of, of winning. They defend really well, one of the best sides defensively. And, you know, if you can hold Gladbach, why not go go further? I mean, they're only four points behind Frankfurt and fourth. It's all very, very tight in the um, first third of the Bundesliga. So, yeah, they have a chance. They have a chance because there is inconsistency ahead of them. It's already turning into an unbelievable season for them. Even if they finish in the table, to do it with, with so little money and to do it on the back of, of this historic first season of Bundesliga, a lot of people thought, OK, that's it. They've had their season. Now they're going to go down. Second season syndrome. But no, they, they keep improving. It's been really, really impressive from them. Meanwhile, neighbours and rivals Hertha Berlin are in a very different predicament currently. Just goal difference outside the relegation playoff spot. Anything else that we should uh, mention about the Bundesliga this weekend, Rafa, before we get on to Paris Saint-Germain getting beaten? I think we have to show a little bit of respect to Wolfsburg. I mean, Wolfsburg are not the most loved team in, in the Bundesliga. Um, fairly small city, corporate background, you know, not, not one for the, the purists. But under Oliver Glasner, they, they've played some very, very solid, well-balanced football. Maybe not the most expansive, maybe not the most free-flowing. But, you know, in a season where a lot of the bigger sides have issues defending, and I'm looking at Bayern Munich, of course, and Borussia Dortmund in particular, uh, Wolfsburg keep it tight. And with Wout Weghorst and Fein Vettel, they find ways of scoring. So no coincidence that they're now up in third. They're not going to make a run towards the title. Um, but getting into the Champions League would be as good as winning a title or a trophy for, for Oliver Glasner there. So, yeah, it's about time I think we appreciate how good a season they're having. Excellent. Well, for the uh, final part of today's Totally Football show, we're off to France for one of the biggest stories of this weekend anywhere in Europe. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Sunday, Paris Saint-Germain are at relegation strugglers Lorient, second last in Ligue 1. They go 2-1 up, the Parisians, thanks to a pair of Neymar penalties. Unthinkably, Lorient equalise. Even more unthinkably, they do the Erling Haaland Buddha celebration that Haaland mocked Paris Saint-Germain with last season. Even more unthinkably, in the dying minutes... This. Il est tout seul, Thierry Mofi, il est tout seul devant le camp des Parisiens. Tout le monde est à l'abordage, le contre du Nigérian. Seul face à Sergio Ikomofi. Et le troisième but pour le FC Lorient. Il reste deux minutes dans le temps additionnel. Tous les Parisiens à l'abordage. Il n'y avait plus personne dans le camp. If you thought that Manchester United defending away at Bashak Shehe in the Champions League was bad, if you remember that goal, the first one from Dembaba, this was as bad because there was it was very, very similar. Somehow PSG who already were lucky to be 2-2. They should have lost that game by far by then anyway, in the last minute of the game. Thought it was a good idea to uh, attack and leave no one behind, which let all their, their goal exposed completely, all their half of the pitch exposed. And Mofi, who is really quick, uh, took advantage of it. And Lorient, who in fairness, deserved their win completely, 100%. They were the better side. They played so much better. It would have been unfair to them, even if they had drawn, let alone lose. Uh, and, and, and winning it, I guess, in that fashion where PSG made a, 
an under 12 mistake like they did is even more laughable. They were really bad. Uh, it's a day to forget. Pochettino said, oh, it was an accident. Accident happens sometimes. Well, I hope for you, Poch, that this is the first and last accident because I, we don't like those kind of Poch accidents out, in Paris. the hashtag's ready. Oh, it's my God, ready. please. Jules, how, how are things going for Mauricio Pochettino there in Paris? Good until Sunday. I mean... No Verratti, that's why. Yeah, no Marco, no Marquinhos, no Navas. Who, they're three very, very important players. Danilo Pereira was an absolute joke. Uh, Kylian Mbappé. Kylian Mbappé tries sometimes to be Neymar, to play like Neymar, to behave like Neymar, to act like Neymar, to dribble like Neymar, except that he's not Neymar at all. So it's completely pointless what he did on Sunday because it was, it was almost against his own nature and his own profile of a footballer, which I find it hard to understand and to believe. When, when you say what but he did, it was just, what, what specifically? He, he tries to play like exactly like what Neymar does in his in his body language, in his dribbling, in his in 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 the position that he takes on the pitch. He's lost a lot of his of his simplicity of of what makes him so good, which is those runs that he makes, the way he can sense the game. And instead, he tries. He tries. That's what this is upon l'équipe made this morning as well. Mm. Saying like, why is he trying so hard to be like Neymar? To be Neymar, he doesn't need to do that. Would you trade him for Moffy, uh, Jules? Now that Moffy scored five in five, five in five, and Kylian, obviously, as 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 we know, only scored against Montpellier in twenty twenty one last weekend. So, and it was him so who the, gave the, the ball away there last. on that. Uh, I think PSG corner, no, for yeah, free for, kick for yeah. uh, Moffy's winning goal. Moffy, more problems. Uh, it was a game to forget. It was a game to forget. Okay. Just before Mbappe is completely ruined at PSG, do you think he will move to to Liverpool? Is there anything in that rumor that makes you sleep badly at night? So I don't I don't think I don't know for sure. I don't think Liverpool right now can afford him anyway. I don't think they've got two hundred million euros to spend as a whole for Mbappe, the transfer fee, the wages, the commissions, everything else you want. I don't think right now they've got that money. If one day he would want to play there, for sure. We've said that already on the show. There's, there's no doubt. But right now, I, don't, I cannot see how they can afford him. If they've got that money and they make a move and he, he doesn't want to extend his deal in Paris and they have to sell him, or it's likely that they sell him in the summer, then then yeah, of course, he, they would be contenders. But I just don't think right now they've got that money. If, if they've been in touch with he, him and his father, for sure, I think Klopp has been in touch many times, spoken to them many times. Uh, like like a lot of other people in in football, uh, including Florentino Perez, including Zinedine Zidane, I think there's a lot of people who speak to Kylian Mbappe's father, who is also his agent. But I think it's a it's a big stretch to say that he they could sign him in the summer because I just don't think they've got that money right now. Mm. Well, the victory takes Lorient into third last spot. They're now only goal difference away from safety. Uh, guess who's right above them? It's Raymond Dominic's Nantes who've tumbled down the table. Uh, he's gone winless, Dominic, in his first five league uh, games. Uh, he's the first Nantes manager to achieve that feat, Jules. Yes, he is. And had they not scored late against, against Monaco to lose 2-1, but a goal in, in garbage time, they would have been in the bottom three because the only way they're just above Lorient is because of that goal they scored late right. in Monaco. Otherwise, listen... It's very simple for all the listeners. This is one stat that sums it up really, really well. Five games played, as you said, under Raymond Domenech, seven shots on target. 
Seven shots on target. Let me let me scream that again. Seven shots on target in five full games of football. Wait, what? What kind of sports is this? What? This is the man. Remember who said that? Um, uh, Gasperini was was not a good manager because he could not hold on the lead against PSG. This is the manager who said that Marcelo Bielsa uh, was a bad manager because he could not beat Derby County in the Championship playoffs. Uh, Italians two years ago. as well. Criticized more Ita- just general Italian coaching. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. Six happened. This is this is the same Raymond Dominic, whose team can only have seven shots on target in five games, which is which is what four hundred and fifty minutes of football. It's just a disgrace. I mean, I'm so angry. I don't even want to think about it or talk about it. All right. Well, Monaco, who beat Nantes two uh, one this weekend, have now taken five straight victories. They've won six of their last seven, and they are now just three behind. Paris Saint-Germain, speaking of things that don't let you sleep at night, how how big do Monaco uh, feature in your fevered dreams? Big. They're big. They're six points behind Lille, so they're very much back in the title race. Kevin Folland has been incredible. Scored again at the weekend. He was not very good. He, he didn't do much, but he took his chance so well. And I think they've got a really strong, really strong team, and Kovac is doing a really good job. So there they will be big games coming up, of course. All the Monaco PSG, Lyon PSG, Lille PSG, Lille-Lyon, all those games to come, which is very exciting. And that race of, of four of them for the title is going to be quite fascinating. All right. We've got a midweek round of games coming up. Jules, Paris Saint-Germain are up against Nîmes. A Dijon take on Lyon. Leaders Lille are at Bordeaux, who've just been beaten by Lyon, uh, with a goal that I know you want to talk about. And Monaco will be hosting their neighbours Nice. Yeah, the derby. Big derby there. I mean, Nice are dreadful, so I, I think... Kovac and, and Monaco can well go on another win. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tricky, as you said, a little bit for Lille to, to go to, um, to Bordeaux and attend Ben because they didn't deserve to lose that game against Lyon and they only lost it because Leo Dubois scored a contender for goal of the season. I think in the whole of Europe, not just in France, a wonderful strike right at the end in the top corner. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, that was uh, that was Leon's win uh, the weekend over Bordeaux. Does does look like being a particularly dramatic and a particularly unexpected title race in Liga this season. Fabulous stuff. Well, while we wait for the midweek games and all the rest of the big stories to develop, uh, that I think brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show European Roundup. Alvaro, Rafa, James, Julien, many thanks. Anything else you want to leave the listener with before we sign off for this week? The Spanish Cup quarterfinals are going to be played uh, this midweek and there are some very good games, like for example, Real Betis playing against Athletic Club or Barcelona visiting Granada. Ooh, okay. Excellent. Well, we're certainly sport for choice then when it comes to midweek viewing between Liga, the Copa del Rey quarters and, of course, those Copa Italia semis. Anything in, in Germany, Rafa? Yeah, there are cup games in Germany as well. Okay. Maybe they're exciting ones there, are they? What would you got? Who do Bayern play against? Bayern are not playing anyone, Jules. <laughs> Funny you should ask that. I was that. kidding you. I was kidding. I know Kiel. Because they them. lost to Holstein Kiel, remember, on penalties. But yeah, I was only teasing you. It's fine. It, it makes it very interesting because we will have a non-Bayern Munich DFB Pokal winner this year. So a real chance for the likes of Dortmund uh, or Julian Nagelsmann to win his first trophy. So it should be, should be really interesting. Brilliant. Well, perhaps you'll tell us all about what happens in the Cup Games this midweek when we meet up again for next Tuesday's show. For now, as I say, thanks to all of you for being with us. Thanks to you, listener. Have a great week and we'll catch up with you at the start of the next one. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hi, I'm James McNicholas and I'm here to tell you about the latest series of Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off? You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and many more, you'll hear from former Hull City manager Phil Brown. He didn't mind having the crack, he didn't mind having the banter, but he would he would prove his way was the right way. Dundee United manager Mickey Mellon. I seen for Sam Allardyce, really. And of course, Father Joe Young, owner of Limerick FC, where the Big Sam story began. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. Then I brought him up and he said, Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious? I said, look, nothing is impossible to those who believe. You'll learn about his time in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the way he revolutionised English football and, of course, the England debacle. You can hear it all now and ad-free via The Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. The Athletic.